So inspired by the testimonies and the, and the music shared and the songs that we've sung, now let's turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we're making our way verse by verse through this great letter of the Apostle Paul to a model church, the Thessalonians. This morning, we left with Paul filling in the gap of some of their ignorance. They were ignorant about what happens to the dead ones in their church, the, the departed ones who were in Christ. The question was, what happens to them when Jesus returns? Do, do they get raised up much later? Do they miss it? Do, you know, what happens? And so Paul's going to explain, as he did in now chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, that they had no reason to sorrow or grieve like those who didn't have hope. There was a tremendous hope. Sure, there was sorrow and grieving because a loved one died. But the sorrow or the grief, it's only regarding a temporary separation, not a permanent separation, just temporary. So the loved one in Christ that has died, there will soon be a great reunion. And Paul's going to remind them about that and reiterate the teaching that he gave them. So he said, here's how it will happen. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, a loud command. You know that type of military command I, I spoke about this morning. He's going to come with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So you can imagine what a declaration. Now, that is not for the whole world to experience, but it'll be for the believers, the church-age believers that are here on earth. Maybe this loud command will be a command to rise up from the dead for those who have departed in Christ. But we know this. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, that the dead in Christ will rise first. So those who have been laid to rest in the ground will be bodily raised up in a glorified body, and they will be caught up to be with the Lord. They'll be raised up to meet the Lord. And then a split second moment, the split second, not even that, in the moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we who are alive and remain will be caught up, will be violently snatched out of Satan's domain, and will be there together with our loved ones. So we will be reunited with the loved ones in Christ that have died. We will be bodily transformed ourselves. We'll meet the Lord in the air. And that Greek word is the word for about 2,000 feet or less. So wherever you guys were, you were much higher than the rapture is going to take place. The rapture is going to take place in the air where it, literally that word is used for the heavy atmosphere oxygen area where we breathe and we have a, where we live in the zero to you know, 2,000 feet range. We're going to meet together with the Lord in the air and will forever be with the Lord. So what a relief that there's a great reunion coming, a fantastic reunion. We don't know when, but it's imminent. It can take place at any moment. There's no prophetic details that need to be fulfilled before the Lord descends and takes his bride to be in heaven with him. So how do we live? We live with great anticipation, don't we? We live with expectancy. We are expecting him to come. We're anxious for him to come. We're looking for his return. And thereby, it's bringing about purity and holiness in our life. Because we do not want to be ashamed when he comes. So he may come tonight. He may come tomorrow. He may come next year or the year after. I know this. I'm going to live, and I want to challenge you to live in the light that he's coming today. Be ready today for his coming because it is imminent. It is going to happen at any moment, be ready and be prepared. And that was the idea of the, of the message this morning. These words, Paul says in verse 18, will bring great comfort one to another as we teach and remind each other of these great words. So the loved ones that have departed in our church in the last 20 years that I've been here and all of those that have departed in the church from the day of Pentecost some 2,000 years ago, they will be bodily raised up. 
and if we're alive at the coming of Christ, we'll be instantly transformed, all together meeting the Lord in the air forever. We will always be with him. I would underline that or circle that phrase or remember it. We will always be with the Lord, never again separated by physical distance. We will always be in his presence. What a joy. Tonight, what are we looking at? We're going to shift our attention from the rapture of the church to the day of the Lord. So let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Let me read these opening verses, and I have an outline for you to follow. We'll take a look at some points in this outline. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. I think that's all we'll tackle tonight. Three verses. Are you ready to learn these three verses and put them to memory and put them to practice? Let's do it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Paul's changing his, he's changing his theme. He has just finished speaking about the rapture or the catching up of the church to be with the Lord in the air. He says now in chapter 5, verse 1, but concerning, but, see the word but? It's very important. It means he's changing the topic, but concerning something else. He calls it this, but concerning the times and the seasons. Now, this both they could be synonymous because they both deal with time in, in a sense, but if we were to try to split them up, it might be like this. The Greek word for times would be chronology, a series of events, like dates of events. Like after the rapture, there's going to be a seven-week, a seven-year, the 70th week of Daniel, a seven-year tribulation time. So that's going to be seven years. The Lord will descend. He's going to take time to set up his kingdom, according to Daniel chapter 12. He's going to have an earthly kingdom for 1,000 years here on this planet. Those are all, that's, th- those are times. We've got a seven-year block. We've got the descent of the Lord to this earth and his second coming in power and glory. We've got a 1,000-year millennial kingdom. So those are the times. Seasons are the events, the actual details of things that are taking place. So Paul says when it comes to the chronology of the end events and the actual happenings, like the seals and the trumpets and the bowls and all of the judgments coming upon this earth, regarding all of those events, Paul says this, Brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. You know why? I think there's two reasons why. First of all, he already was in Thessalonica teaching them these very things. So he doesn't really need to reteach them. They should have it already learned. But secondly, the rapture is a mystery. It is something that was hidden in the Old Testament, but was now revealed by the word of the Lord. Whereas the second coming of Jesus, hey, all the prophets spoke about it in the Old Testament, didn't they? All the prophets, they all were looking for the day of the Lord. So Paul said, I have really no need to teach you or talk to you about this because it's all in the Old Testament. Get a copy and read it and study it for yourself. It's all right there. It's not something that, I have to, that has to be divinely revealed. It's already been written down and recorded for you by the Holy Spirit of God. So he says, you have no need that I should write to you. Verse 2. Now here it is. My first point tonight. God's judgment is coming upon this earth. God's judgment is going to come upon this earth. Remember what I told you about Enoch this morning? Enoch in Genesis 5, he gave birth to Methuselah, whose name means his death shall bring. Enoch knew 
when this boy dies, God is going to, when his death will bring about God's judgment on the earth. Sure enough, who's the oldest man in the Bible? Methuselah. Do you know why I believe Methuselah is the oldest man in the Bible? Because his death would bring about the flood, the Noahic flood. And so Enoch is raptured. We know Enoch walked with God and was not. He was taken up to heaven without a bodily death. And now Methuselah lives and lives and lives. And he's 900 years old, and God says, I'm going to give him another year. 910, I'm going to give him another year. He's 920, I'm going to give him another year. Why does God keep extending the life of Methuselah? Because he is a God of grace and mercy, and he wants more people to enter into the ark. He doesn't want the floodwaters of judgment to come upon all the wicked, although it will, it has to. He wants them in the ark for safety, trusting him. So uh, Methuselah is 960, 961, let him live another year, another year, 960. It goes on until 969. When he dies, we know from Genesis 5, the year Methuselah dies, the floodwaters break upon the earth, and the earth is flooded, and God judges the sinful world, right? So here the church is going to be raptured and taken out of the place, and now there's going to be seasons and events of God's judgment upon the earth. And I want, to know, I want you to know, my first point, God's judgment is coming to America, to every nation on this planet. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that God is angry with sin, and he's angry with sinners, and he's going to come and he's going to judge our planet? The Bible makes that really clear. It's called the day of the Lord. So let's look at this. It says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord. This word perfectly, it's the word acrobas. How accurate is an acrobat in a circus on a tight, on a tight rope wire? Yeah, pretty accurate, right? So it's the word acrobas in the Greek, and it means you know very, very exactly what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. Now let's talk about the day of the Lord. I want you to think like a Jewish person, because in the Western culture, if I say day to you, what do you think? You think daylight, you think sunshine. No, the day of the Lord. Think like a Jewish person, think like a rabbi. Now, in Genesis chapter 1, God created light. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and he saw that the light was good. It was evening and morning the first day. Then God took the expanse in between the the waters above and the waters below, and he stretched out the expanse so that there were waters above the firmament and waters below, and it was evening and it was morning the second day. You get the pattern? How does a Jewish day start? Evening and then morning. The day starts with darkness, and it begins, then it ends with light. So I want you to think about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period. It is, a, it is a series of events that begin with darkness, like a Jewish day, and then you have the sun rising, and then you have a period of light. That's the Jewish day. So in the day of the Lord, take your Bibles. Look with me at Amos. Go back to the prophet. We're just going to do a few of the prophets. Key text here. Let's go to Amos chapter 5. I've already preached verse by verse through Amos. did that a, a couple of springs ago. Amos, chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Here is the darkness of the day of the Lord. See, the Thessalonians knew accurately about the day of the Lord, and I want you here at Faith Baptist to know accurately the day of the Lord. It begins not with sunshine, but it begins with darkness. And then after darkness, the sun will rise, and it'll be a period of light or day. It's going to play a huge role into our understanding of 1 Thessalonians 5. 
Amos 5, verse 16. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this. Here's what God himself says, the God of the armies of the heavens. There shall be wailing in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, alas, alas. You know what that means? You wise are wailing in the streets, because everywhere you look, there's death. Now listen, we've had the Orlando tragedy. We've had... um, Paris, Munich, um, Brussels. I mean, we've had major shootings and catastrophes even like every week taking place around the world. Can you imagine worldwide when there's wailing in all the streets and there's mourning and there's people saying, alas, alas, woe is us, woe is us. He goes on. They shall call the farmer to mourning because the farmer's not going to be able to plant any food. They're going to need him to mourn for the dead and skillful lamenters uh, to wailing. In all vineyards, there shall be wailing. Vineyards should be the most happy place. There's singing and all sorts of things when you're stamping on the, on the grapes. No, not, not, not in the day of the Lord. There's going to be wailing. Here's why. For I will pass through you, says the Lord. He's going to pass through them, not for blessing, but for judgment. But they thought, day of the Lord sounds like fun to me. God says, no, it's not. Verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Ethan, Ben, Matt, when you guys are on your Montana trip, can you imagine you're on a trail and you, you meet a lion and you take off. You think, I'm going to avoid a big tragedy and I'm going to run away from the lion. And then you turn around and who do you meet? A big bear. You, you, know, you left one tragedy to meet another. That's what the day of the Lord that's coming upon this planet, that's what it's going to be like. People are going to try to avoid one tragedy only to turn around and see another one right in front of their face. Or as though he went into the house thinking, I can get safety in the house. I'm away from the bear and the lion. He runs into the house. He leans on the wall and a serpent bites him. Here he's thinking he's got peace and safety. He doesn't. He has death coming to him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Hey, move on. Look with me at Zephaniah. Go off to the right of your prophets. Continue going off to the right. Find the prophet Zephaniah. Here's what Zephaniah says about the day of the Lord. See, Paul had taken time to teach the Thessalonians, this is what's coming upon sinful mankind. What's our response to that? He's going to do it. Our response is, let's get the gospel out there. We need to warn people of the judgment to come. We need to let them know there's only one way of safety and peace, and it's not through our our president or our future president. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation in him alone. We need to be shouting that message because God is returning to this earth, and he is going to judge it for its wickedness. Here's how Zephaniah says it. Chapter 1, verse 2, I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. That's That's literal. He will consume everything from the face of the land. He will cons- I will consume, God says, man and beasts. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. Those will be the idols. I will cut off man from the face of the, earth, of the land, says the Lord. Keep going in chapter 1. Look at me at verse 14. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. Therefore, the mighty men shall cry out. Listen, Thursday morning when that straight line windstorm came and hit parts of Duluth and north of Duluth. You said it was like a, like a huge, loud sound or like a roaring sound. Can you imagine in the day of tribulation when the church has already been taken off the scene and God's judgment floods this planet? Do you, can you imagine the terror 
of what's going to happen when the cities of the earth collapse, islands disappear, the high mountains that you guys are on, 8,698 feet, when that collapses, can you imagine what that's going to do to the whole planet? Isaiah says our planet is going to totter through the universe like a drunken man. It's going to be whipping back and forth. Hot, cold, hot, cold, shaking, earthquakes. Oh, it's going to be fierce when God comes to judge this planet. And it is not a happy time. He goes on, verse 15, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress. It's a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. It is a bad day when God comes to judge this planet. Now, one last text. Go with me to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, speaking about the same day of the Lord. By the way, this is all Old Testament, and the Thessalonians could have gone to the synagogue and read it. They could have heard this being taught. They should know accurately what's going to happen in the day of the Lord. Malachi chapter 4, for behold, the day is coming, it's a guarantee, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up. We don't say that with arrogance or any joy in our voice, do we? Can you imagine 7 billion people on this planet, most Christ rejectors, most despisers of, of good and holy things? And their lives will be taken from them, and eventually they'll be cast into a lake of fire. That's the judgment coming upon this planet. And what's the solution? What's the, what's the salvation of the planet? Only in Jesus Christ, his death for our sins and his resurrection. And who's got the message? You and I do. And who needs it? They need it. And so we've got to be concerned that people in our neighborhood are going to die and go to hell And if we get raptured and the judgment floods upon them, they may be taken away in some of the greatest tribulation this planet has ever seen. But look, it says this in verse 2. But to you who fear my name, the son of, listen to this, the son of righteousness shall arise. Because what happens after after the dark? Okay, I'm just going to throw a few extra things in for you, okay? So after the darkness, I love love the morning. I'm a morning person. Nine o'clock at night, I can't even probably communicate a clear sentence. Four in the morning, I'm wide awake and alert, as can ever be. It's just crazy. I, you know, I can think clear, I can speak clear, but 7 o'clock at night, I'm like, oh, man, I'm tired. Maybe that's why I'm tired. I'm up at 4. But you know what I like to do? I like to, I like to be outside, and when the thick darkness of the sky just begins to break a little bit, all the stars disappear except one. Which one? The morning star all right, so that's going to be an interesting thing because you find that Zechariah, the, uh, the father of John the Baptist, he says about the, the Christ child who's born of the virgin, he says, this is the day star. This is the morning star. His coming is, he's like the, the, the last star of the darkness. The sun is about to rise. Well, we know Jesus is going to come back at the second coming. There's been seven years of darkness And now the Son of God is coming back from heaven. He's going to split the sky open. He's going to come down with his armies, and he's going to put an end to sin, and he's going to bind up the devil for a thousand years, and he's going to set up a millennial kingdom. He is the Son of Righteousness that is going to arise on this dark planet. Now remember, at the end of the tribulation, God has already taken a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars from its shining. 
He's going to take all of the sun, all of the moon, and all of the stars. Our planet's going to be engulfed in darkness. And then the Son of God will come from heaven in his power and glory. And he will light up this planet as the sun of righteousness with healing in his wings. And for those who fear his name, they will enter the kingdom. And for those who reject him, they will perish. So we have a period. So the day of the Lord consists of a period of darkness, severe tribulation like the world's never seen. Then the coming of Jesus, the son of righteousness, who will bring healing to this planet and regeneration. And then he sets up this kingdom for how many years? A thousand years of daylight. So you have darkness, the son of righteousness arises, and then a period of light called a thousand-year millennial kingdom where the Lord reigns. See, that's the day of the Lord. It encompasses all of that time and all of those events. So now you know. That's what the details are. Now, we didn't get into the fine details, and we're going to, just in a moment, though, if you don't mind. Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm looking at the time on the clock, and I want to make sure I just squeeze this in. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, here it is. There's going to be two illustrations. The day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. Here's why. Listen, the, the second coming isn't coming as a, as a thief in the night. How do we know? Because the second coming of Jesus, when he actually sets foot on this planet and puts an end to sin and binds the devil, that is preceded by seven years of great detail. We've got seven seals, the seventh seal being then opening up seven trumpets. After, on the seventh trumpet, we have seven bowls. We have exactly seven years from the time of the signing of the, of the covenant between the Antichrist and Israel to the coming of the Messiah. So when, once the covenant is signed from Daniel chapter 9, we can count exactly seven years. And we, so the Lord's second coming is not like a thief in the night, but the day of the Lord is. And where does it, well, how does the day of the Lord start? With darkness, right? With judgment. People are going to be taken totally off guard. You know why? The rapture is unannounced. When all of us believers are taken off the planet, what's it going to do to the planet? Spin it into chaos and trouble so what are, everybody, what, have, what are people going to cry when this, what are we already crying and we're still on earth? What do we want? What's, what's um, Trump's message at the Republican convention? Peace and safety, peace and safety. What do people in Munich at that mall that just, they just got shot by that, by that um, person, that terrorist um, that planned it for a year, what are they crying? We want peace and safety. We want peace and safety. We don't want this. We, don't want, we want peace and safety. We want, that's what we're crying is we want peace and safety. While people are crying peace and safety, we want peace and safety, they're not looking to the one who can give it, Jesus Christ. They're looking to government. They're looking to other people, but they're not looking to Jesus. Look at what the Bible says, verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. The world's going to be going crazy because the, second, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. We're taken off, we're taken out, and the unbelieving world's left going, hey, what just happened? It's like a thief came and we, and we were stolen away, and now a series of events, and they're crying peace and safety. Who do they look to? Most will look to the Antichrist for peace and safety. And so while they're crying peace and safety, it says sudden destruction. So there's a solemn warning. The solemn warning is the day of the Lord is coming. It starts... The rapture is going to set it up. The rapture will take us off the scene. The day of the Lord will begin. There's the solemn warning. What's the world's response? They don't care. They're not going to look to Jesus. For, well, some will. 
There'll be great, there'll be great salvation in the tribulation period. But really, the world right now doesn't care about Jesus at all. They don't care about the word of God. They don't care about gathering together as an assembly of believers. But what's the tragic result? Sudden destruction. And then the second illustration, quickly, comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Now, obviously, I don't know much about this, but I know a little bit. I know this. For pregnant women that are going to give birth to a baby, the contractions begin slight and far apart. But as the delivery of the baby gets closer, the contractions are fierce and close together. So it starts like this. A pain, a pain, a pain, a pain, a pain, a pain. And then they get fiercer and fiercer until the baby is finally delivered, right? Jesus says, and Paul says, and the prophets say, that the day of the Lord and the destruction of this world will be like the labor pains of a woman. The first six seals, there's famine, there's war, there's death, you know, there's things like that. But it's really not that bad. I mean, the world's endured stuff like that. On the seventh seal, now there's seven trumpets. Here's what God does. He takes a third of the green grass, a third of the trees. He takes a third of the ocean water, a third of the fresh water. He takes a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars. He's beginning to take all of human resources off the planet by one third. And now he wants everybody to be fully dependent and trusting him, but the unsaved world shakes their fist and says, we don't want anything to do with God. So those are fierce. Now on the seventh trumpet, now it gets fierce. The labor pains are more intense because Jesus is coming back and he's going to birth a kingdom, a millennial kingdom. So now as the seventh trumpet is blown... Seven bowls are poured out, and it's all of the green grass, all of the oceans, all of the fresh water, all of the sun, all of the moon, all of the stars. All of man's natural resources are taken away until they're sitting in total darkness, and then Jesus descends. Do you see how the labor pains are included? So the day of the Lord starts like a thief in the night. The church is raptured. The world is unaware. They don't care. They're taken off guard, and then sudden destruction comes upon them. And listen to the last phrase. There shall be no escape. They cannot get away from God's judgment. They will try, according to Isaiah 2 and other texts, they will try to, um, these mighty and great men, will try to go under a mountain and say, let the mountain fall upon me. I don't want to suffer wrath from the Lamb of God. They will actually say, I wish I could die with a heavy boulder coming and crushing me. I don't want to endure the wrath of God. They will not turn to him in repentance, though. Do you see that? So, there's, so God's judgment is coming. So there's a solemn warning. The day of the Lord is coming, and it's coming quickly. It's coming like a thief in the night. He's not going to announce the rapture. It's simply going to be a loud voice, our voice of an archangel and a trumpet. We're taken off. The world's taken off guard like a thief in the night. And then sudden destruction comes upon them, like the labor pains of a woman. And they're going to be slow at first. But at the end of seven years, the bull, you know how you spill something, you know, if you have a bowl of something in the kitchen and you spill it on the ground. Once you get that bowl going, you can't take it back. The angels are going to pull out the bowls of judgment, of God's judgment on this earth, and you can't take it back. It's just going to be boom, 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 boom. Jesus comes back. And there's not going to be any escape. The only escape is going to be, who can stand in that day, Isaiah Isaiah asks in chapter 2. The only one that can stand in that day, Revelation 6 quotes that, the only one that can stand in that day is those who trust Jesus as their Savior. They are the only ones. He is the only solution to man's sin. So those first three verses, 
Paul says, listen, I'm not going to do any more about the rapture. You already know now the rapture. And concerning the seasons and the times of the end, you have no need that I I write to you, Paul says, for you know accurately that the day of the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. It starts with darkness, the Messiah comes, and then there'll be a period of light in the kingdom. This day the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night and sudden destruction upon the planet, like labor pains of a woman that's going to give birth, and there'll be no escape from this judgment. What a solemn warning. That's a terrible way to end a Sunday night message. Because then Paul says, but you are not like that. You are not children of darkness. You're children of light. So act like it. So I'm going to give you a quick chance. Just here's my closing. I'm done. I'm done. I want you to be aware that, G- that God is coming back and, and he's going to judge this planet. Our responsibility is to get the message out. What a shame that we would hold on to the good news of the gospel and not run to people and say, you must know Jesus. Let me introduce you to, the, to Jesus as Savior so you don't meet him as Jesus the judge. All right, so we need to, let's be active about giving the gospel to the world this week, whoever we can. Let's be concerned about their soul. And then secondly, like Paul said, we're not children of darkness that are going to, we're not going to endure the tribulation as children of darkness. We're children of light, sons of light. Therefore, act like it. The word son of light, sons of light, we'll see it next Sunday morning. Me, a, a son is somebody who takes on the characteristics of their dad. I am my dad. You know, I talk like him, I walk like him, I act like him. I, I have taken upon myself because I'm a son of Jerry, um, Jerry's son. I am a son of Jerry, so I have that, those characteristics because that's who I am. If we're sons of light, daughters of light, then we need to be conforming to Christ's image, acting and thinking like the Lord. Even though the world's in darkness, we don't live there. We don't live in the world. We don't love the world, and we don't want to be influenced by the world. We want to stand fast, stand firm, live holy. Be careful this week what you put into your heart and mind. There's media influences out there that can change your thinking, can corrupt your heart, can corrupt your life. Be on guard. Be sober, be vigilant. Be very aware of what's going on because the Lord's going to come back at any moment. And let's pray he comes back before next Sunday morning, right? Be great to finish this text up in heaven. Then we can really get it right when the Lord says, okay, here's, we'll pick it up on verse 4. Let's do that in heaven next Sunday maybe. If not, be back here and we'll continue on as we look at the day of the Lord. I'm going to give you more about the day of the Lord and what Paul says we should do as we wait for the rapture to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, how it has changed our life and our thinking and how we are anticipating the Lord's return. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It may be tonight. It could be sometime this week. We want to be ready as families, as individuals, as a church. We want to be ready for the coming of the Lord. We know that the coming of the Lord will be like the thief in the night. The world will be shocked and taken by complete surprise, and sudden destruction will come upon them. Great, great trial, like these birth pains of a woman, and there will be no escape for them. They must trust Christ. So, Father, I pray that we would be very busy with giving the gospel this week, caring about the lost, concerned about where they're going, but also our character and our mind and our heart would reflect who we belong to. We belong to the King, Jesus, and we want to act and look and talk like him. So, Father, use this church in mighty ways this week. 
uh, bring us back for Wednesday prayer and Sunday worship. Again, Lord, come quickly. Please come. In Jesus' name, amen.